Jim Elliott said. He knew that there were countries out there. There were groups of people. There were tribes who had never heard the name of Jesus before. I believe God is calling me to go and to be a missionary, to give my life in service in another country. And as he prayed about it, Jim Elliott, there he is as a young man, he was praying about where to go, and he felt called to go to Ecuador. He learned more and more about Ecuador. He began to work with a ministry called Wycliffe Bible Translators, and he was, went down to South America, began to learn the language of Spanish, and then he began to learn some of the different dialects with the Indian tribes there. And he learned about this tribe in particular that was filled with savages to the extent that they had killed a lot of the neighboring people whenever they tried to come in. And there was actually an oil well company that had come and sent a few workers in to, to drill this oil well. And this tribe had just come and wiped them out. And so they had stopped sending their workers in to work on the well because this tribe was just so savage. It was completely disconnected from the outside world. And they didn't want anything to do with the outside world. They wanted to kill anyone who came into contact with them. As Jim began to hear this and some of his fellow partners in ministry, they had a burden. We've got to go to this tribe. It was called by neighboring tribes, the Awanka tribe. They were known as savages. And so they were trying to figure out, well, what do you do when somebody wants to kill you? How do you possibly help them to see that you're there to help them, that you want what's good for them? You want to reveal your loving character to them. You want them to learn about Jesus. And Jim said, I I think the only thing that's going to help them is for them to learn about Jesus. There's no other way for them to be changed from this savage tribe that they are. So they got a plan. One in their group was a pilot, and he had a mission plane there. And they began to fly over the territory where these tribes were. And they figured out a way to, to lower on a bucket, uh, a, a rope with a bucket, while they're flying the plane. And I, some of you pilots would know how to do that, I guess, with a plane. But I don't know how you do that with a plane. Anyway, but they were able to lower with this bucket different presents, different gifts, down to this savage tribe. I don't know what it would be like to be in a, a tribe and suddenly see an airplane flying over, not understanding what that was, this huge bird, and then to see something come down out of it. But as they went to the bucket and they looked in the bucket, here were these nice gifts like candy and different prizes for them, different presents from these missionaries. And they would go time after time to lower this down. And at one point, the savages actually took and put in the bucket, a present to go back up to the plane. And they took that bucket back up into the plane, and then they began to think, well, they're starting to understand. As we give these gifts, they're understanding that that these gifts mean that we don't mean them harm, that we want to help them. So I think the time has come for us to come a little closer to them. So they found a stretch of beach along the river where they were able to land a little bit closer to where the tribe lived. And as they landed on this beach, they said, we're going to build a tree house, a fort, until these, we'll, we'll let them come approach us. We won't scare them by walking into their village. But as the Awanka people came, the first that came was one man and two women came to see who these foreigners were who had landed in their territory. And Jim began to recite the only bit of the Awanka language that he knew, and he was trying to tell them in just one, one phrase, please, we're here to help you, not to harm you. He just wanted them to know we're here to do 
do you good. We don't mean to do any harm to you guys. And they came, and they came a little closer, and they were able to have just a little interaction with them, and they felt like it was positive enough that they told them to go back to their tribe and to let them know that they were there to do them good. The people left, and later it was found out that the man, for some reason, went back to the village and told a complete lie about the strangers and about what they were there to do, about Jim and his, the other missionaries who were there with him. And so the next day, when they came back, there was again two women that came walking out of the forest. And as they walked up to them, Jim and a, a fellow missionary were there in the river and some of the others were there on the beach. But as the women came closer, they then began to see other tribesmen come out of the woods. And as they looked at them, they realized that they weren't there to be friendly. And at this moment, Jim had a choice to make. Jim had in his pocket a gun for protection in the jungle. He could at this moment have pulled it out and have protected himself by these villagers, but he and the other missionaries had made a pact. They said, we've come to save lives, not to take lives. So before we ever kill one of these who does not know Jesus and does not have eternal salvation, we will allow them to kill us. That's what happened. We don't know the details, but their bodies showed up in the river a few days later, downstream, there, Jim had a wife and a, a three-month-old child. Some of the others had some other family who were there. It was a tough time for them. It was difficult to understand how these men who had come to witness for Jesus, to show the love of Jesus to this community, had been so mistreated and killed. But as they began to reflect on Jim's life, they read something in Jim's diary from a few years before this. this was a, he was killed in 1956, but back in 1949, Jim had written this in his diary. And the life that Jim lived, we'll find out later, came to lead others to live that same life of giving. But Jim wrote this in his diary. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You see, Jim knew that eternal life was of more value than anything else, and he was willing to give this short, transient life in service in order to save even just one life. And it felt like a failure at the time because his life was taken by the very people he came to save. But in the end, God turned it all around. We'll look at that a little bit later on, but go with me to Matthew chapter 1. What is it like to come to a foreign place, to come to a place where people aren't expecting you, where people don't want you to be there? How do you win their favor? Last week we talked about how Jesus came to this small little planet. We talked about who Jesus is, that he's not just our Savior who was born and walked among us, but that He is God Himself. That He is the pre-existent One. That through Him all of creation was made. That everything that was made was made through Jesus. But imagine what it was like for Joseph. Is He's not understanding why Mary is pregnant. He's ready to put her away. And in Matthew chapter 1, the angel shows up to Joseph and says this in verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, and this is from Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. What an incredible thing to know that this wasn't just a Savior that God had sent to this planet, but this was God Himself coming down to live among us. Now this is such a familiar story to us that as we read it and we understand, well, yes, Jesus was God. That's great. I've heard this Christmas story every Christmas my entire life. It begins to become small to us. But to recognize what Jesus has done, what Jesus has given in coming just to this planet, like we looked at last week. We talked about in Isaiah chapter 40 where it says that John the Baptist, it quotes from John the Baptist that he should prepare the way of the Lord, make straight, a straight path for, for the King to come, for the Lord to come. And then it goes on to describe who Jesus is. And it describes how he created all things in heaven and on earth. That he's the one who takes the seven oceans and 20 plus seas that we have and he can measure them in the, the, the hollow of his hand. It, it says, look on high at the, at the, the heavens He's the one who created all these things. And last week we looked at that Hubble Deep Field uh, Telescope picture, which was for 10 days the Hubble Telescope pointed at a dark section of the sky and came back with this image. They, they didn't know what was out there, but from 14 billion light years away, they found this image that came back. And every single dot that you see on there is a galaxy. Today, the known universe is so much bigger than what we used to think as far as how many stars there are. Each galaxy we know, an average galaxy like ours probably has 100 billion stars. And now they're estimating when they realize how many galaxies there are out there that there are at least 10 trillion galaxies, but they're always expanding the number. So if you were to say how many stars there are that Jesus created, that Psalm 33 says that He breathed and stars came into existence, if you were to estimate how many stars there are out there they estimate now that it's 10 with 24 zeros following it a huge number it's unfathomable this is how big jesus is go with me to john chapter 1 we looked at a little bit last week we're going to dive in a little bit deeper in john chapter 1 verse 1 it says in the beginning was the word the word was with god And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is God's thoughts made audible. He's the one who reveals who God is, who God's loving character is. All things were made through Him. That entire universe was made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. Not just human life, but eternal life. Life unborrowed. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus gave Himself. He came to this dark planet that had rebelled against God, that was a savage planet, and He came down and He walked on this planet, and this planet didn't recognize Him. This planet did everything possible to put their God to death. But skip down with me to Verse 14, 
Notice the language that John uses here. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It says that God Himself became human flesh. Now to us, that's no big deal. We are human beings. We are human flesh. And well, that's great. God became human flesh. But you remember last week, we looked at that image from the Voyager that was taken from six billion miles away, looking back to planet Earth. And it just happened that it was the, the camera lens had this light beam coming down. And we'll put the picture up of it again. And in the camera beam, you see there this tiny little blue spot. That's planet Earth from 6 billion miles away. And that's not very far away, even though the planet looks really small there. That's within our own solar system. Haven't even left our own solar system. And that's how big planet Earth looks. Jesus created everything in the universe. There are stars that are are bigger than our orbit around the sun. And he breathed those out. Jesus created all of those things. So can you imagine that as Jesus looked at this tiny speck, this, like the next slide shows, as Carl Sagan put it, that moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. That tiny little place where every human being has ever lived and died. That tiny little planet where Everyone has lived out every bit of ambition, human ambition. On that tiny little speck, Jesus saw rebellious creatures. And He didn't just say, okay, I'll humble myself to the the place of coming down and, and being on that tiny little dot for 33 years. He went further than that. Here it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. It wasn't good enough for God to come and to set up a sanctuary and to put His presence right in the middle of us. God had been giving us little gifts throughout history, just like the missionaries, putting those gifts down for the savage tribes, just trying to show us His love, to show that He has this loving character, that He wants to be with us, that He wants to be close to us. But that wasn't enough for God. God said, I've got to go there myself. I've got to go down to that little planet But not just to go down there, but I'm actually going to take on human flesh for myself. And then you read through the Gospels. You read the stories about Jesus. And I'm just going to put up a few things here that that list to show us what Jesus took on for Himself. In Luke 2, verse 7, it says that Jesus was born. So He had a physical body. He was actually born as a a tiny little helpless baby. Jesus grew up. Jesus grew tired. You remember at the well when He sat down by the well. Here was the King of the universe who created everything tired with the physical tiredness that you and I feel. His muscles worn out. Maybe He got out of breath. He sat down at the well because he was tired in John 4, 6. John 19, 28. He was thirsty. He became physically weak in Matthew 4, 11. If we can get the... It's a little bit further on this slide up there. Luke 23, 26. Again, he, we find that he's physically weak. He died. And he 
When he was resurrected, John tells us that he had a real human body. He ate fish. This is that God who breathed out stars. The God who created everything. Everything was created through him. And Hebrews 1 we looked at last week was that he is the very brightness of his Father's glory. He's the image of God. He is the fullness of divinity. And yet he chose to take on human flesh for you and I. We go on looking in the Gospels and we see that he also had the emotions, the heart, the mind that you and I have. Matthew 8.10 says that he marveled. Matthew 26.38 says he was sorrowful even to death. In John 11, 12, and 13, we find stories where he's deeply moved. He's deeply troubled. He offered prayers with loud cries and tears. Luke 2.52 actually tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom. This is the omniscient God of the universe choosing to take on human flesh, still fully divine and yet still fully human. This mystery that we can't fully wrap our minds around, and yet somehow he was growing in wisdom. He had to come to the understanding of what he was there on planet earth, what he was here to do. He grew in wisdom. This is incredible for the one who has existed throughout eternity, who's been one with the Father. I don't know what it's like, but you imagine all of the memories that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit shared together, all the things that he knew, but when he came down, he set all that aside. What an infinite sacrifice. He limited his omniscience. In Mark 13, 32, it says that the Father knows when he's coming back, but the Son doesn't even know when, the Father's coming, when Jesus is coming. He also had a human will that somehow had to be submitted to the Father's will. He said, not my will, but your will be done. Let that sink in. This is the God of the universe taking on human flesh. This is the one who can't be limited by creation, who we can't see all of his glory because he's so much bigger than the creation of what he created. You can't pinpoint God within the creation because this is what he's created. He's bigger than all of creation, and yet somehow he chose to come and become a tiny human being to live out his life on a little speck of dust in the universe. And that for love for you. Philippians chapter 2 describes what Christ went through. Philippians chapter 2, go there with me. We'll start in verse 5. The first few verses of this chapter, Paul is challenging the Philippians, telling them, look, you should have unselfishness. You should look out for the interests of others before yourself. Stop focusing on your own needs first, but think about the needs of others. And then in order to illustrate this, in order to help people see the value of this, Paul goes on to point to the life of Christ. And I love in the book Acts of the Apostles, it talks about how Paul, point after point, would reveal in his letters how the the glory of God in Christ was humbled to such an extent that he believed that as we came to grasp that, it would lead us to self-denial in our own lives. So here he actually challenges them to that. He says, let this mind, the thoughts, 
that be in you which were also in Christ Jesus. Have the same mind. Have the same thought patterns. Think the same way. Live the same way as Jesus lived. Who being in the form of God. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. And Jesus has the form of God. And yet, being in the form of God, Paul says, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now that word robbery is an old word, but the idea is that he didn't grasp onto it. He didn't seize this this opportunity of being equal with God. He didn't cling to that and say, I've got to stay in this form. But instead, what did he do? But made himself of no reputation. Another way of looking at it is that he emptied himself. Taking the form of of a bondservant. So you see the, the parallel there. He was in the form of God, but he took the form of a bondservant. He became, the, the word in Greek here is the same word for a common Roman slave. So he came down and just became like a slave. He, he had all authority, he had all power in the entire universe, and he laid all of that down to become just like a slave. He took the lowest appearance possible coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Education, page 154, says this, What humility was this? It amazed angels. The tongue can never describe it. The imagination cannot take it in. The eternal word consented to be made flesh. God became man. It was a wonderful humility. It's beyond anything that we can possibly describe. And this is why you find in Luke chapter 2 that when the angel comes down to announce to the shepherds that, hey, there's been a baby. He's born in a manger. And you should go and, and see for yourselves that immediately after this, it's as if the whole heavenly host who's watching can't hold back. They know who Jesus is. They know that he created all of them. They know that this entire universe is so huge, so vast, and yet Jesus is king over it all, that he's the all-powerful king of kings. And yet, here he is as a helpless baby laying in a manger with human flesh. And when they see that, they burst out in song saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. If you have any doubt in your life about how much God cares about you, look to the manger. Look to Jesus, the, the one who had everything possible, who said, I'm going to become a human being. For us, it's not as big of a deal because we are human beings. But for the God of the universe to become fully human, to experience life in every way like you experience life, as it says in Hebrews, this was an infinite humiliation. And there's a reason for it. There was a bigger reason than just you and I because we're in a great controversy and what was it that started this entire great controversy? You remember it back in Isaiah chapter 14? In Isaiah chapter 14, we find about this 
being that was in heaven, Lucifer, the pre-fallen Satan. Verse 12, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Lucifer, this beautiful being who is dazzling and perfect in all of his splendor, said, I'm going to go higher. I'm going to do better things. I'm going to become bigger. I have these big ambitions for who I'm going to become. And this is the system that Lucifer began to share with the other angels. He began to to say, no, God is selfish Himself. That's why He wants us to worship us and give Him glory. Don't you see that selfishness is the way that the universe should be ran? Then He comes down to this planet where God was the one who was constantly giving, unselfishly sharing from the moment He created Adam. This tiny speck of dust out of the entire universe. But He comes down and He breathes life into Him. And He puts Him in a garden which was a beautiful, the word in Hebrew is gone, which is this beautiful gift for a king. He puts him in this garden, this precious place for him to live. And then when he sees that he needs a companion, he, he gives him the gift of Eve and gives him this beautiful gift of marriage. But Satan comes down into the middle of that. He comes down into the garden, into that one place where God allows Satan to have access to them, to tell them about his scheme of doing things, about his way of selfishness. And he says, God is limiting you from this tree because he doesn't want you to become like him. And he began to tell them the lie that they should try to become like God, that they should go and they should eat this fruit. And he began to sell his schemes. And we see what takes place in a world that is based on selfishness. As we look around us, we see what's happening in politics. We see what's happening with wars. We see what's happening with our own families. This is the result of a selfish system of living. And as Jesus looked down and He considered all that was happening here, He knew that He had to do something for you and me. That He couldn't leave us in this state of confusion following this system of selfishness. He knew that He had to reveal unselfish love to us. And He chose to do that by coming and living here. That's what it said back in Philippians chapter 2 when it says that He considered that it wasn't worth that, that, that equality, the form of God was not something He wanted to cling to. But he emptied himself. You notice how it said there, he considered. He thought about it. Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus on the day before he stepped down to this planet? To look down to that tiny speck, that little speck of dust, and to say, I'm going down there. And it wasn't like the future was hid before him, but he knew the future. And he knows, I'm going to go down. And my own family, my brothers, are going to persecute me from the time I'm little. They're going to mistreat me. And then as I get older, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and pretty much everybody's going to begin to reject me until finally they take me to the place of the cross. But as he looks down at that tiny planet, I believe he looked further into the future and he saw you sitting here today. He said, I love them. I want them to have an opportunity 
And so I'm willing to give absolutely everything for them to have that opportunity to be with me forever. The gift that God has given us in Jesus is beyond our wildest imaginations. The verse is so familiar in John 3.16. It says, For God so loved, not meaning it was so much, but meaning this is the way in which He loved. God loved the world this way, in that He, how does the verse go? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God didn't just provide a way of salvation for you. He actually gave Jesus to the human race to be human, fully human and fully divine throughout eternity so that we can be united with divinity. Jesus gave us the biggest gift that we could possibly be given in coming and living on this planet. I love what it says in the uh, book, Manuscript Releases, volume 21, verse, page 392. It says, The gift of God to our world in sending Jesus is an exhibition of His grace which God Himself cannot surpass. But one thing is impossible with God. The power of eclipsing the greatness of His gift in showing His love for fallen man that He has given in Jesus. The gift that He's given in the incarnation, in Jesus coming and being born here on this planet, is a gift that Jesus, God couldn't possibly have given us anything more than that. In this wonderful expression of His love, He has given to man fallen and to all the unfallen worlds, all, all of those angels who said glory to God in the highest, all of those created worlds that we learned about in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, to all of the unfallen worlds and to the universe of heaven, clear evidence that there is no love but His love. No wonder the angels could sing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells us something about the Father. Luke chapter 12 in verse 32, the Jews had misconstrued who God the Father was. They had come to see Him as wanting to take from them, wanting for them to, to just go through all these rites and ceremonies to hopefully appease God. But Jesus says this to them, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It brings joy, it brings pleasure to God to give you the kingdom through giving you Jesus. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you these things. But you remember what Philippians said. It said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And so after Jesus describes how it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, He's excited to have you in heaven. He wants for you to have all of the riches that are yours in Christ. Verse 33 goes on to say this, So sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. After telling us that God has ravishly loved us and given us this incredible gift, 
He's willing to give you the kingdom. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. His response to that is to say, you need to respond to this by selling all that you have, by giving up all that you have, and having treasure where moth and rust does not corrupt. The next verse goes on to say, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you see why God wants for you and I to have the same heart that He has? Because He knows that the system of giving is the system of unselfish love. We are raised in a system of capitalism, a system where we're taught to to take everything possible for ourselves and to amass as much as we can for ourselves. But the system that God has is one of emptying yourself, of giving absolutely everything. Jesus has given us everything in Himself. There was nothing more He could possibly give. And so for you and for me, He wants for us to have the same opportunity. That's why He says, go and sell all that you have so that you can give alms for the poor so that where your treasure is, there can your heart be also. I want you to give extravagantly just like I have given extravagantly. Not because I'm poor and I need your help. God could finish His work in any way that He wanted to, but He allows you and I to participate in it because where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. And Jesus wants for you to experience the same joy, the same love that comes from giving unselfishly. What an incredible God that He wants for us to have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus who looking down and seeing this speck, this tiny planet, was willing to go all the way and to become human flesh. Friends, you can't outgive God. God has already given us everything in Christ, and He calls us in response to that to enter into the same attitude of giving, to give up the system that Lucifer wants to sell to us, that the devil wants to sell to us, of taking and of amassing more, but to live a life of radical giving. Today, I wanted for Leah and Jerry to come up to share a little bit of Jerry's own experience in giving. Jerry to share a little bit this morning, and I told her that if she cries, it's okay, because this is just coming from her heart, but God has been doing something radical in her life, and um, we want to take you back about 15 months ago. It was August of 2015. Several things kind of happened right in a row. Jerry heard a sermon about giving. She was attending the Financial Peace University in September, and then she was asked in October to be on the school board, and all of these things kind of fell into place, I guess, maybe just at the right time. Tell us a little bit about those three events and what God led you to do because of them. Um, Well, being on the school board, asked to being on the school board um, and seeing what it takes to run the school, it costs a lot of money, and there's no way that the kids can go to school and pay tuition um, and cover all the costs that it it takes to um, run the school. And so um, I was convicted that um, I needed to donate some money. And um, so I thought, well, um, I've never, I've, I'm really, ha- I really have a hard time um, just trusting. <laughs> and um, because I've just always believed, oh, I just need to work hard and, and trust in myself. 
And so then I thought, well, I'm going to just um, go ahead and take um, some of my um, my savings and, and just donate it. And um, so I just did, and I didn't tell Jeff about it. And um, and then, um, not not that I was hiding it, I just was convicted, so I thought, I just need to act on it. And um, so I did, and then later I told Jeff, and um, he says, oh, oh, so where'd you get the money? And I said, well, you know how I am, I just kind of squirrel money away, and then that's where it came from. And he goes, okay, fine. And then... Um, um, so then one of my um, girlfriends at work said that she had signed up for the Financial Peace Seminar, and um, it was going to be at our church, and she didn't want to come to this church and not know anybody, and so would I please sign up? And I thought, uh, okay, okay, I will just as your friend, so you can know somebody. And so I signed up, and so the books came, and um, my husband's just really a doll, but he hates budgeting, and he's always thought that was a dirty word. And so when the books came, he said, what is this? And I said, look, honey, don't worry about it. Um, I just signed up to be a friend, and I'm just going to go to be supportive, and um, just don't worry about it. And so um, my son, Slade, um, is really into budgeting and really careful with his money. And so he's he was like, well, I'm going. And so... Um, the first day, um, uh, we were heading out the door, and Jeff goes, well, aren't I invited? And I said, sure, come. And so um, uh, Jeff went every single night that he had it, and he did all the homework and was really faithful about all the assignments. And I didn't dare touch the book or do one assignment, and Jeff just did awesome. <laughs> and um, anyway, um, right after... Or soon after um, I, we had donated the money, um, we also had a lawsuit and lost the lawsuit. And I was so angry because I thought, you know, God, I trusted you. You know, here I guess <laughs> I, we donated money. And um, really, I just can't believe it. This is, these people were so dishonest and we lost the lawsuit. And um, I was talking to Jeff about it and... <laughs> have a temper and Jeff was just so calm and um, I just couldn't understand his calmness and um, finally he came over to me and he says honey I just don't want you to worry about it he goes I have something to show you and he comes over and he shows me two checks and they were a lot of money (laughs) I'm going what are these and he said well um, my job called me and said that they don't know what happened, but they had uh, figured out, or they had made a mistake in their my pay for I don't know how long. But they had wanted to make it right, and so they had given me these two paychecks, and it more than covered the what we owed on the lawsuit, and we had extra money. Okay, so that's just the first part of this story, though. So when you were telling me about financial peace, did that make a difference in the way you guys started handling your own money at home? Definitely. <laughs> um, we had money um, on charge cards and stuff, and, and yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that made a huge difference. Okay, so God helped them pay off the charge cards. You'd given the money to the school, and 
Jeff was supporting you in what you gave. Then the lawsuit happens. God more than pays them back, and you kind of thought it was the end. But did you continue giving to the school, or what happened after that? Oh, um, well, um, yeah, because we... um, Slate talked about going to dental school, and um, I just felt like, um, okay, God, I'm just going to continue testing you, and um, we'll experiment. (laughs) And... um, the school needs money, so we'll continue um, giving money to the school. And um, anyway, that's what we did. And um, he continued to... Uh, anyway, that was fine. And then, um, so, Slate gets into dental school, and um, uh, okay, so Slate, I'll, I'll finish this part. So Slate gets into dental school, and he basically says, Mom, are you going to be able to help me at all, right? And Jerry had to be honest and tell him about all the ways that God had been leading her to give to support the school. And so you weren't actually sure how much you could help Slade with that first quarter, right? Right. Um, I said, you know, I really haven't saved anything for your school bill, but all the charge cards are paid off. And what I was thinking was, well, all the charge cards are paid off in his, his first quarter of school was less than what we had owed on our charge cards, so I just put them on the charge cards again. And the thing about charge cards is that you earn miles, and so, and, and, and know this, um, we have a daughter in uh, college, and then he's going to, to dental school, and um, in, in, if you charge stuff on, <laughs> you guys all know this, uh, charge stuff on charge cards, but you pay them off, you still earn miles, right? So um, we'd been putting the, um, my daughter's college bill on charge cards and paying them off. And then also we did that for his um, school bill. Okay. And, okay. and so I was thinking, okay, well, we'll just see how it goes. Well, his, uh, the charge cards are paid off, and we have money for his second quarter. Okay, so they paid it off, and it actually happened a lot faster, right, than you thought. Like, you thought you might have to put it away at a little time, but God paid it off. His whole first quarter was paid. And then you have this piece of property that hasn't been having it rented, having anyone on it for a long time. And this year, as school started, and Slade actually started school, Jerry thought, maybe God isn't calling me to continue to support our school because now I should save for Slade. But a couple, was it a month ago? Okay, a little while ago, Jerry found out about a need at our school, and she was thinking, should I do it, should I not do it? And so you went and talked to Jeff, and what did Jeff say to do? Um, I said, you know, honey, they're, they're needing some money, and, and I'm just thinking, you know, we've got all these bills. And Jeff's looking at me, and he, he goes, Jerry, just write a check. And I go, seriously? And he goes, yeah, just write a check. So she writes the check, supporting our school, and then what happened with that piece of property that's not been rented, not been touched in a long, long time? Um, the guy called me, uh, the, the lease was supposed to end, and he calls me up and he goes, would you be at all interested in leasing it for another 12 months? We really need to stay here. So God has now given you income through that, right? So over and over and over... God has just continued to bless them. There's actually a lot more we could share, but because of time, we won't. But now Slade is home for Christmas, and God has already provided enough money for his whole next quarter, and you've continued to give. And so 
just real quick, I asked her the other night, last question, I asked her the other night, I said, Jerry, honestly, what has this done for your relationship with God? What has this taught you? I mean, you've given, God's given back, and what did you tell me? I have no idea what I told you, but no. he's, <laughs> he's amazing, and he, he real, you really can't outgive him, and um, I just like to encourage you if you're not paying tithe make sure you're paying tithe every single every single month every single paycheck if you're not if you're paying tithe but you're not paying into um for your local church budget pay local church budget if you're paying tithe and paying local church budget also find a mission talk to god Ask him to put a burden on your heart and then support that mission. I want to close with the, um, the text that's found in Luke 6, 38. It says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom for the for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to, to you. Um, the thing about the mileage, I was able to have my daughter come home for Christmas from Hawaii. So, Blessings all around. Yeah. The one last thing is, last night, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> last night, we were headed to the airport to pick up my daughter from the airport and... Um, Slade had worked really hard. Like I said, he budgets everything. And he was saying how um, um, last summer his cousin um, runs a summer camp, and he had asked Slade if he would be willing to come help him um, at the summer camp. And Slade was going, Mom, I need to just keep working and saving money for dental school. And I said, Slade, you know, it's not all about you. If somebody needs help, you need to help them out. And he goes, well, what about the money? And I said, it's not all about money. And so last night we're heading to the airport, and he, he says, you know what? He goes, I know exactly how much money I started with and how much I needed, and I've been paying attention to every single dime I've, I've spent. And he goes, I can't figure it out. He goes, I always leave room for wiggle room. And he goes, but I have more money than I should. And I said, I know what it is. It's how God adds and subtracts. When I asked Jerry the other night, I said, you know, what has this done for you with tears? She said, I shouldn't be surprised, but I always am. You cannot outgive God. Praise God. Give and it will be given to you, pressed down and shaken together. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God just wants for us to have the same heart that he has. He wants for us to experience the joy of the love that he knows you can have in living an unselfish, loving life like God has lived. That's what he desires for you. And where our treasure is, there is our heart. Really, it's not about money. God can provide for all of our needs, and God can provide for all of the church's needs. What it comes down to is a revival in our hearts. And God knows that if we grasp onto things, 
if we cling to the stuff that we want, if we keep that selfish attitude, then we're never going to experience the joy of unselfish love that he wants for us. And so that's why so often Jesus would say, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. In Luke 14, he said, no man can be my disciple unless he forsakes all that he has. You can't follow Jesus and hang on to anything. Like Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that example inspired a whole generation of missionaries to go back to Ecuador, but not just an entire generation of missionaries to go out to unreached areas, but it inspired his own wife. His own wife with a three-month-old child, along with the sister of another man who was murdered in that group. Within two years, they said, we're going back to that tribe that murdered my husband, that murdered our brother. We're going back there. And we want to love them to Jesus. Somehow, we've got to show them Jesus' love. They moved in with them and they began to befriend the ladies in the tribe and they began to come closer and closer to them until the very people who had murdered Jim Elliot were converted, along with a vast portion of the tribe. Friends, to give unselfishly, to give absolutely everything, you'll never regret it. And I totally echo what Jerry was saying and what Slade is saying, that you may not always understand how it works out. We like to measure it out and think that we have it all planned out. But God is able to surprise us. He's able to show up in ways, again and again, Leah will ask, or I'll ask her when we're, we're giving in ways that we, we didn't think that we could handle. She'll say, well, what are we going to do? How are things with our bank account? And I'll say, well, there's still money in the checking account. God still has given us enough for the bills for this month. God won't let you down if we just faithfully give. And I want to thank you because there are some of you here who radically give. There are many of you here who faithfully, consistently, and sacrificially give to Jesus. And so I know that your hearts are where your treasure is. Your heart is with Jesus. But at the same time, my heart breaks because there's others of us here who are holding back from Jesus. We don't want we're afraid. We, we want to grasp what we have. Friends, you're no fool for giving up what you can't keep to get what you cannot lose. To give generously, you'll never regret it. Give, and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together. Go with me to Romans chapter 12 and verse 32, the last verse we'll look at. And then I want to look at one other uh, quote from. But go with me to Romans chapter 12 and verse 32. And we'll look at something from the desire of ages. And we'll be done. Sorry, Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. He who did not spare his own son. The God who gave Jesus. He gave him to humanity for all of eternity. So that you could be led to adore, to treasure Jesus with your whole life, with everything that's involved in your life. That God who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not with Him also freely give us all things? 
God has already given you absolutely everything. We read earlier, He couldn't possibly surpass that gift. There's nothing He could give you more than Himself in becoming human for all of eternity. There's nothing more He could have sacrificed for you. Nothing greater. And so if you need something in your life, you need to have confidence that that God loves you and He would gladly give you the entire kingdom because He's already given you Jesus to be your brother so that you can be a son, a daughter of God throughout eternity. In the book Desire of Ages, it describes what we have in Christ throughout eternity by what He has done in coming and becoming not only fully God, or He was already fully God, but becoming fully human in, in the flesh. By his life and his death, Christ has achieved even more than recovery from the ruin wrought through sin. In Christ, we become more closely united to God than if we had never fallen. Do you get that? Because we fell and Christ came and became human, we are more closely united with God throughout eternity than all the rest of the universe. In Revelation, at the end of the book, it tells us that God will come down and He'll bring the New Jerusalem down to this planet. It says God will be with His people and He will dwell among them. There's going to be heaven on earth and the King of kings, the Lord of lords throughout all the universe is fully human. There is a human heart. There's a human brain. There's human muscles. There's a human body breathing just like you and I that sits on the throne of the universe and He loves you infinitely. And He's given all of that for you so that you could enter into the same life of giving. In taking our nature, the Savior has bound Himself to humanity by a tie that is never to be broken. Through the eternal ages, He is linked with us. He gave Him not only to bear our sins and to die as our sacrifice, He gave Him to the fallen race to assure us of His immutable counsel of peace. Like the angel said, on earth, peace, goodwill to men. God gave His only begotten Son to become one of the human family forever to retain His human nature. God has adopted human nature in the person of His Son and has carried the same into the highest heaven. It is the Son of Man who shares the throne of the universe. In Christ, the family of earth and the family of heaven are bound together. Christ glorified as our brother. Heaven is enshrined in humanity and humanity is enfolded in the bosom of infinite love. Friends, the God of the universe has taken on human flesh. He's still fully divine, but yet He is fully human and He knows what you're going through. And He wants for you and I to enter into that same life of unselfish giving, of giving absolutely all for our King and for those around us. So as we close this morning, I just want to invite you to join me in praying. Number one, would you join me in praying that He would lead us to adore Jesus more than we ever have before this Christmas. And number two, would you join me in praying that He would lay on our hearts how to give more, how to enter more into His heart of unselfish giving, how to have more of our treasure with Him so that more of our heart, more of our love can be with Him. 
God loves a cheerful giver. I don't want anyone to give out of compulsion, but I want for you to experience revival as you give radically and experience the radical blessings that come as a result of giving faithfully. Would you join me in kneeling and praying? Father, you have radically given to us in Christ. You've given a gift that you yourself could not surpass. Father, I just confess, human words, my words cannot possibly grasp the wonder of what you have done for us. In stepping down to this tiny planet, this little speck of dust in that huge, this huge universe that you've created, and of actually becoming one of us, we who were created out of dust, you've taken on human flesh to save us. God, I ask for forgiveness that in so much of my life, I've not wanted to give. I've wanted to hang on to things. I've clung to Lucifer's principle of life. Father, I ask that you stir in our hearts a revival by the power of your Holy Spirit that leads us to love unselfishly to the extent that we were, would be willing to give our lives, that we'd be willing to give everything that we can't keep anyway to gain that which is the only thing we cannot lose. Father, as we pray together, I just want to give my friends here the opportunity to just commit to you by raising their hands if they want to commit to you to pray over the coming month to ask you specifically, number one, to lead them to adore Jesus more. To ask every morning, would you lead me to adore Jesus more? And number two, would you lead me to give back in response to all that you've done? Would you lead me? Would you lay on my heart? Would you show me how to radically participate in unselfishly giving? Father, we raise our hands in commitment to just daily pray that prayer for a month just to see how you can radically revive our own hearts and surprise us and show up in big ways like you've done for Jerry and for many others here. That you can show us that we could never outgive you. That you have already given us everything in Christ. And that since you didn't withhold your own Son, how would you not with Him freely give us all things? Thank you, Father. Lead us to faithfulness. Lead us to adore Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.